Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Lodge 49. Welcome back to streaming in place. We are still in week, what week is it, Kate? 37. 37. We are talking about the penultimate episode of the first season of Lodge 49, Apogee, season one, episode nine. Um, I was really excited to talk about this one. There were a lot of things I didn't remember, a lot of things I did. And the first question I have is, uh, Noel uh, texted Kate and I last night, um, two words in all caps, oh God. And while I assume I know what it is, he is talking about there are actually several options in this episode so noel where did you from whence did your oh god spring well at first i was delighted because they introduced a harpoon gun in act one and it went off in act two um so i was very happy about that but no the oh god was gary and his eye on the narwhal horn then the help me and both my partner and i were just freaking the fuck out um it it's was a correct just response so, yeah it was so much it was a lot it was a very much a lot um and we were just like woof just and and then to follow up that oh god with his entire head bandage with the horn sticking out of his eye socket was just beautiful and really perfect and i really appreciated it but it was just like wow so it was a lot it was a lot but that's what the oh god was about that i texted you uh, both about was the image of bruce campbell's head and specifically an eye socket impaled on a uh, sculpted narwhal horn yeah, I like I like it because it's you're watching this show and you're like, oh, well, this is obviously a Bruce Campbell role, but kind of a different thing, like nice change of pace. Yeah. And then, nope, then yeah. he's all of a sudden he's <laughs> holding a harpoon gun and impaling himself on the horn of a narwhal um, of one of of Chekhov's narwhal, because it's also the narwhals were teased. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think I think that that is a, a hell of a moment. <laughs> Kate, how did you react to the to the climactic narwhal horn to the eye? I mean, the cut to how is he alive? Uh, it's just perfect. It's just so great. Because that's, of course, what all of us are wondering. And it really, like, just the delivery is spot on. And, um, I mean, and of course, the, you know, pet peeve of the Televerse. Um, but going back to one of our early expert opinions when we had the medical professionals on, always leave it in. Never take it out. Don't go fishing yeah. for the bullet. Don't, like, take out the shard of glass. Like, leave it in. So, <laughs> so, like, yeah, they had to leave the hornet. Well, yeah, of course they did. I assume this means... Like, they are establishing the show that, like, permanently they're leaving the horn in, not just in the immediate trauma situation, which I just, it, I can't wait to see what happens with that, because you don't introduce that and then not bring it back at some point. So if we at some point have a Bruce Campbell walking or, and walking around and talking with a narwhal horn still sticking out of his eye, uh, or the socket, you know, like... I could see the show doing that, and that is just—I, it—it's it, a lot. It's—it's it's ridiculous, and I—and I love it. So, um, it was delightful and ridiculous and absurd, and such a better way to end that standoff than anything I would have anticipated. 
Um, I am I'm going to do a rare, uh, one of the rarer Kulzik maneuvers and mm-hmm. lightly spoil something for you because I think okay. it'd be less disappointing, which is that this is a wrap on Bruce Campbell on Lodge 49. Okay, that makes more um, sense. Apogee is his final episode. Um, although, I, you know, it was canceled. So I, as I was watching today, was like, man, I bet season three they would have run into Gary and he would have still had the horn in and maybe they would have done like a Phineas Gage storyline mm-hmm. um, and, you know, have dramatic alteration to his personality in some way because of the damage to whichever lobes the narwhal horn has entered. Um, I, I mean, that certainly would have been possible, but mm-hmm. okay. who knows what, what the what the return plans may have been for the captain. But Apogee is Bruce Campbell's final Lodge 49 episode. I appreciate which knowing bums that, me so out. thank you. Yeah. Yes. I, I appreciate knowing, though. Mm-hmm. So that we can really appreciate his last, you know, his final episode, his final turn here. So I, I feel like, shall we segue into a brief, Bruce Campbell is awesome? Yes. Since this is our it. last Let's opportunity. Let's talk about Bruce Campbell's Duende. Um He's really great. I mean, he's just really great in this role. I think there's a lot of really interesting color and texture to it. You know, it's it would be very easy for this to just be, oh, I'm a huckster. Oh, I'm here to um, take advantage and to manipulate you and to con you and to steal from you. And he is that, but it's but it's all just a little bit more complicated and twisty. And that really appeals to me. I'm so glad that y'all responded similarly. He's great. I always enjoy Bruce Campbell. When he gets to do more, it's always better. But even if he's just being the Prince of Thieves in Hercules and Xena, I still enjoy him. Uh, (laughs) Right, which was his breakthrough role um, for a lot of us millennials. Uh, And the fact that they were like, oh yeah, no, by the end, we're gonna have him with the harpoon gun going full like Ash for at least a second. We're gonna, you know, enjoy that. Um, Yeah, it, it was... Absolutely delightful and ridiculous. Um, I'm also relieved that this is the end of that character as much as I will miss Campbell, just because I was not looking forward to spending too long with the characters getting conned. So the storyline might still be continuing around like Omni and what's happening with the land and all these other things. But the fact that it's Clearly not. Like when they find out, oh, there isn't oil. <laughs> um, no, that's definitely not a thing. You are definitely being swindled. I was just very relieved that then we could have that last scene and just sort of enjoy the dynamics, but without the context of being anxious about the well-being of the characters. Uh, no, what that, that was like kind of my the big thing I took away from that last scene, getting to just really enjoy it. No, what did you take away from uh, Gary, this episode. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you that the it provides a weird kind of button on the on at least like the larger part of the plot because there's still issues working in it. I think um, because I feel like Avery's probably onto something. He just doesn't know what he's actually onto. Yeah, um, and I think that's going to be one of the things that gets paid off in the finale in some sense. Um, so I'm curious about that. But the rest of everything you just said, I think, is correct. And I'm not going to belabor it. Um, Campbell's really great, like you said, when he has more to do. And he just has... He was given so much really good material in a very short span of time. Um, and 
then it was just a lot of star image play as well, which I really enjoy. Um, and Campbell's always game for star image play, which I think is, was part of what makes him so compelling and interesting to watch as well, is his performances are always really layered in terms of what he's doing as an actor, but then he, more so than a lot of other actors, is aggressively aware of who he is and where he fits into things. And it always has that element of play in his performance, which I always really appreciate. And shows just lean into that because of, again, who Bruce Campbell is. Um, so I think it's just, it's really good and it's really fun. And I'm both glad and sad that he's, he is done. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I can't not stop thinking about them just accidentally hitting him with their car in a motel in season three of Lodge 49. Yeah. Like they do with the geologist here in this episode, <laughs> which just, Beautiful. Uh, it's. I mean, it, that also leads us to one of my favorite lines of dialogue from the show in total, which is when Dud says, like, per, as though it make will make perfect sense mm-hmm. to literally everyone, we already hit the geologist with our car. Yeah. Um, like, no, <laughs> just... We all, we, we already did that thing on the to-do list. It, there's something about the construction of that, um, that I find incredibly appealing, um, and that is so revealing about the character, I think. Did either of you respond to that one in particular? That's like, he's the, in the audience. It's like, he's the person yelling at the TV, don't try to pull that with our characters. They already hit the GLs with the car, right? They already have (laughs) made it through to act two. Like, we already got the turn. So now it's time for you to, you know, fess up. It's delightful. Yeah, it's great. We also get another little tiny glimpse of of Dud's wounded foot run, which just always it just makes me so happy. Every time Wyatt Russell runs, I'm like, that, I was applauding. It's a visual. Was, yes, that was, that was visual. It was in case you were wondering what the sound of applause was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a great. It's not a Dud cent, particularly Dud centric episode, but I think this is also a pretty great Wyatt Russell episode. The moment in the car where he references his dad is terrific. Yeah. It's, huge. Yeah. It's a huge moment for the character. And it's so fitting that this show just sort of slips it in about something else entirely. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of Breaking Bad when they're having, um, when Walt and Skylar are hosting like a dinner party after things are very tense between them and they are separated or whatever. And she, she goes to like get the salad um, and he's in the kitchen with her and she just goes, I fucked blah, 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 and leaves. Right? It's just like this tiny moment in the middle of lot other things are happening, but it's just like, it's a, a very short line, very impactful, very telling about the characters and totally changes their relationship with each other. Um, yeah. So it, like, it reminded me of, of that in a very different way. <laughs> yeah. I like that comparison. Yeah, me too. Um, while we're on Quick the question. Subject- yes. While we are on, like you say, where we are on the subject of um, all the stuff with Bruce Campbell and the, the, the Avery and all of this. Um, and maybe this is speculation more for the end. I also have another thing I want to remember to ask you about, Elson. But uh, what is what? Noel, what's our over under on the dragon coming back? Because the fact that there's like, why do they have all that drilling material, like drilling equipment there? If it doesn't have anything, if there's no oil, you know, like, or whatever, you know, like that different conversation we're having and then remembering back to Larry and the machinery looking like a dragon. Do we think this is coming back? 
I wouldn't be surprised. Um, as for the reason, like, the materials there, if you're taking someone for a site visit, you need to make it look convincing. Um, so, like, could just yeah, look, we've got the stuff to we've got do drilling. the thing. We've, we can do the drilling thing, right? That's what it's called, drilling? Is it called drilling, Bob? Yeah, it's called drilling um, type of deal. And, yeah, so, but I would not be surprised if the dragon kind of comes back in some way. Um, mainly because it it increasingly feels like a windmill mm-hmm. to call back to the Don Quixote, uh, Sancho, Panza thing that they do in the opening credit sequence. Um, it feels like something to tilt at. And the entire... The entire show is something to t- is about things to tilt at, um, but I think that that specifically feels like a potential physical manifestation of that. Yeah, um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you about, Allison, is uh, because of you know things that have been going on in the TV uh, and just general nerd sphere uh, this week. Uh, of course, I've been enjoying um, your new debating doctor who with alistair um that and so talking with you prompted this connection in my brain i'm curious what you guys think about this of bruce campbell and john barrowman i feel like there's a really strong connection there between playing with star image Mm -hmm. being really talented when they're given more nuance to play and also really understanding and enjoying the kinds of roles they so often get to do they've got different energies and vibes but they sure. both end up in those kind of actiony kind of roles a lot of the time um what do you, what do you guys think of course, and listeners john Behrman's going to be on doctor who for the new year's special which is why it's in my mind right now yeah well i think a lot of it lends the self lends the fact to both campbell and Behrman have that kind of heavy matinee leading man idol look mm-hmm um, but haven't translated it into larger, like a a tier kind of work. Air quotes. Um, but they've been really solid at their particular vein of stuff. So they've been typecast to a certain degree. Um, but they also do really well playing with that kind of, with what they're typecast in. Um, to find things that are fresh, but also find things that speak to how we think of them. Yeah. Well, and their personalities, their energies, right? They're yeah. they're more off the center. They aren't. Yeah. They're more interesting <laughs> than right. the those like you know the square jaw roles that they would typically get right. cast in. Yeah, and I think about like, and this is only semi related, but I also think about like that, and really like heavy relation to someone also like John Cho who also has those, like, leading man look and physicality, especially um, in his acting, but continues to find and seek out weird um, or different kinds of challenging stuff when he could increasingly probably find a niche niche for himself typecast in something and instead keeps pushing against that um, and developing his own sort of thing. But also, I mean, he's not getting the opportunities he should right. because he's because not he's... white. <laughs> right. So yeah. that's a big part of it, too. But also, yeah. certainly he is making more interesting choices uh, mm-hmm. in, you know, when he, you know, when he has the opportunity. I mean, when certainly. you're a guy who's a movie star and you just decide to go do the Exorcist television, sh- a low-rated yeah. Exorcist television show on Fox for a, a whole season, and you're just so like, good. you're making choices. Anyway, Allison, how do you feel about this? Um, I like that comparison a lot. Uh, I think that to me, the, the, 
the thing that they have in common is that they look more like action figures of movie stars <laughs> sure. than yes. movie stars, right? And not yeah. like good action figures, like dollar store action figures. Totally. Action, and I mean yeah. that as a, in a compliment, good right? Yeah. Like it's very... um it's the same. Actually, you know what? This is sort of perfect because I was going to say, hey, here's an opportunity for our list. But one of my one of the examples I was just going to say, I think should also go on this list. Here is our completely unnecessary Lodge 49 ranking of the day. Give me your top five um, actors with um, leading character looks and weirdo supporting character actor energy. Oh, um, okay, sure. So we Bruce Campbell and John Berman are two good examples. I'm going to go Dan Stevens, um, who is actively, I think, trying to make himself look weirder uh, in most of his roles because he's too handsome to play the parts he wants to play. Like, t- Dan Stevens just wants to be Steve Buscemi. And then he booked Downton and like, and and now it's now his entire career is a constant battle between Downton Abbey and Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. Downton Buscemi. Um, that's what he wants. Uh, so Dan Stevens, um, Rosamund Pike. Mm-hmm. Good, good call. Yeah. Um, let's see. She worked really hard to break out of that little Bond Bond girl mode that mode that she was going to be stuck in for a while. Yeah, really hard. Um. Let's go with James Vanderbeek. Okay. I don't necessarily mean in terms of ability. <laughs> oh, um, that's harsh. I'm no, I, I mean, I, the, the Vanderbeek, he's good. Okay. I'm not yeah. sure he's Dan Stevens good, but he's good. But he's doing a similar, like, playoff star image, but also be weird thing. Yeah. Um, uh, Marcus says a very different energy, but definitely off kilter. Jared Leto. Uh, for me, uh, I never got the Jared Leto thing, but I know there are plenty of, again, millennials who would just swoon over the, the lean day all day long. So, yes, I think that's an example. See, I think Jared Leto is too... Um, um, I'm, I'm hot because it's weird as hot, right? As opposed to like... Yeah, I know I look like this, but trust me, I'm so weird. Well, I think a good fit for that is Hemsworth. Yes, that's a great yeah, fit. I was born to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> like, yeah, that's a great. That's but a he really, just really wants great. to do comedies for the rest mm-hmm. of his life, and he's just not going to get to. And he's oh, so John Ham. John Ham is another really good example. Mm-hmm. Speaking of somebody who just wants to do comedies for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um. um any, any? What others? Who else? You yeah. Got? I feel like Guy Pierce kind of falls into this. Yes, um, yes, yes. Because um, he's definitely someone who had like that weird moment after Memento where everyone was casting him and everything. And then he just seemed to go, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to do weird stuff. Um, and then I'm going to do Iron Man 3. And then I'm just going to go back to doing weird things because this was a very good paycheck. <laughs> um, so that I think kind of fits. Um, Hugh Jackman increasingly, I think, is now that he's freed from like the X-Men franchise is like starting to figure out that I can do some stuff. Um, let's see. Um, oh goodness. I had a, I had a woman in mind that I thought really worked well, but I can't think of it now. Um, crud. That's why I think the Rosamund Pike choice is so good because like, I mean, when she was cast as Jane in the, uh, the other pride and prejudice, the, the right pride and prejudice, it's just like, yeah, she she just like yes 
perfect casting and for she's that. Great. And she's great. And you can also just see everybody like, yes, that's what was just always that. Let's just always put her in that because she looks like a painting. And so Same therefore. Same thing with Anya Taylor-Joy too. Ooh, Anya Taylor-Joy is a great one. Yes. Yeah. Where it's, so that, because, because with women's roles in, in Hollywood, and especially if we're talking like more like big budget kind of things, there's a lot fewer of them <laughs> and there's, mm. there's a lot less um, space for different kinds of things. So like you could point to like a Charlize Theron um, who, who really worked to like to do, to get monster so that she could show guys, I can act too. Yes, I'm gorgeous, but also I can act. Um, and then has taken a lot of control over her career since then. But that has to me has less to do with, um, breaking out of a specific like action kind of thing or, or like a, and I think that has less to do with her and more to do with a general lack of curiosity or interest in women centered films and, and films that give more for actresses to do than mm, right. just like st- just her and her energy. Right. And that to a degree is like what um, Margot Robbie and Kaylee Cuoco are doing yeah. with their respective production companies and putting themselves in those in the into some of those projects so that they can really hone themselves in terms of what they want to do and how they want to do it. And being the head of the production company that's producing whatever they're in gives them that freedom. to Carrie Washington as well. And uh, uh, Reese Witherspoon as well. Reese is the one that I was going to mention. Although I think that with some of these actors, they're making more interesting choices Mm -hmm. um, now. They're making extremely interesting choices when they're in a position to sort of create their own projects. Yes, exactly. Um, but Reese Witherspoon is not an, like a, a fascinating character actress. She's not really good at playing a white lady, like really, really good. And she can be really good in other things too. But like Rosamund Pike is a feral beast. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. She just, she has this vibe underneath everything where you're just like, oh, you are fucking weird, huh? Great. Let's do this. Gone girl every day. Let's go. I think we are missing like the top tier one, which is Nick Cage. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, yes. Who is aggressively weird and also was a leading man, like a tier leading man for a little while. And then just, I'll do anything so long as there's a hot lunch <laughs> because yep. I'm bad with money. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mia, uh, Marcus also suggests Mia Wasikowska, which is mm. a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's another yeah. really good one. Um, right. And there we should are talk more. about the show. But we should talk again. about the show. We should talk about the show. Um, although now I just want to talk about the flight attendant because you brought up Kaylee Cuoco. So like, yeah. yeah, now I just sorry. This is now a flight attendant podcast. Um, while we're on the subject of guest actors, this can be our little seg to talking about um, our other deadly twin for this episode. Um, I am obsessed with Olivia Sandoval, who plays Julia, or sorry, Janet. Um, uh-huh. the CEO, uh, she has appeared here and there in lots of other things that I like. I think the thing that I associate her with most frequently is a simple favor, um, which was one of my favorite movies of 2018. Um, and she is very funny in it as a cop, but she's done other things too. Um, I just love her as Janet and I love, I love the reveal that she's the DJ, um, got like, and doing the push-ups, how satisfying. I love the very strange first conversation she has with Liz, but I really love the conversation that they have right before Liz jumps off the boat 
which hmm. is what I thought Noel's oh god text was I- initially. And then I yeah. was like, oh right, this is the this is the narwhal episode. Never mind. Yeah. No, <laughs> the oh god like like I had sent a thing right before that about oh, I was wrong about Liz. The system is not going to screw Liz over. Liz is going to screw Liz over. The tragedy was the fatal flaw all along. Um she's just going to jump off the boat swim back to shore after finding the Orbis refrigerator, which is a nice solid through line on that because we were told it was going to happen. They don't have the budget to actually show that happening, but we got a refrigerator floating in the bay, which I very much appreciated. Um, And then my guess is that Liz shows up tomorrow or next week at the executive thing and goes, yep, nope, nothing happened. And everyone's like, you jumped off the boat. And well, swam away. <laughs> do, do you think they're going to notice that? There's yes. so many people. No, there's not enough people for them just to go, she disappeared. And also, her boyfriend, sex buddy, is going to notice that she was just disappeared. Yeah, he will He will notice. <laughs> yeah. but... but I also think that she caught Janet's eye enough that Janet's going to notice too. Which yeah, I mean, I guess thing. it depends. It, it, for me, it depends on how long... How much longer the thing is and how drunk everybody is. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Marcus says, I think she can claim she fell overboard. Yeah, but then she didn't call for help or anything. Yeah, but it's like, good. that's a, like, it's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to, to, to have that happen. So Allison is very thirsty. Um, we'll see what happens with that in the finale, I imagine. Um, my first thought was, of course, uh, I guess she doesn't have a phone. Because, like, she's. She, I don't see her doing that and ruining her phone and having to buy a new one, but maybe, I don't know. Or maybe did she leave her jacket? Cause she was wearing a jacket earlier. Right. So assuming the, the, the not boyfriend boyfriend is going to get it. Yeah. Maybe. Cause yeah, see, she did have a jacket earlier. I don't think whether her phone was in her pocket or not. I don't think Liz thought had any rational thoughts. No, no, no. Yeah. Like, it was just an escape. The combination of, Hey, here's this guy who's been nothing but great for you and was totally awesome about the toe fungus. And he's disclosed your relationship to HR, something that in any other television show would be like a seven episode drama about whether or not they were going to acknowledge their relationship to the company. Here he just does it off camera and she's like, oh, okay, I guess that is happening. And then she has this conversation with Janet and she just like impulsively is like I gotta get out and so she just jumps <laughs> and then thank god she finds that fridge right because Liz Dudley she needs to she needs to not drown I'm gonna need she needs Liz to not Dudley to drown. not drown I was thinking of you know the number of people who have drowned in situations like that and it's a lot so yeah um I'm curious you meant you mentioned uh the disclosure thing because my takeaway from that was run Run! He seems nice and everything, but he's defining your relationship to other people before you've co- had a conversation about it. And to, like, like uh oh, no, so many red flags. That's what that. Ooh, I don't told think that's a me. red flag at all. I oh, think, I think because I think she took it as, "Wow, you're telling people I'm your girlfriend," 
and we haven't had that conversation yet. I just viewed it as like, hey, I feel like I need to be transparent about this. I am having an outside social relationship with this person who is also potentially going to be getting involved. And I want to make that clear now so that it's not a thing once she's officially in. I can see why Liz would think that and he probably should have told her. But I don't know that it's so much defining their relationship without her as doing the right thing for him and for her and the company, but just in like a relatively thoughtless manner. Like a heads up would be nice. Yeah. No, I agree with Allison. Like it's a heads up situation, but it is very much a, I'm trying to avoid anything bad happening here. Yeah. Or it's incredibly controlling. You guys don't think that's controlling? I didn't um, read it that they've way. spent like I maybe two, two, three days together. I don't know. Um, I don't know. The passage of time for this is like there. There's been at least a couple of weeks between the essence yacht party. I think based on how uh-huh. people were talking in this episode and the previous episode. I think I feel like there have been, but I'm. It also doesn't track with everything that's happening with Ernie and Connie. Yeah, with but, the bankruptcy too. With the bankruptcy as well, the timeline for me was a little squishy, mm-hmm. but I feel like that there was some discussion about it being a little while since, like, the conference, but... Yeah. I mean, I, think- I don't doubt the show agrees with you, but I, I'm surprised I had such a different read. Well, I think that... That... Like, we're all right, because you seem to have reacted to it the way that Liz did, right? And And I didn't... But I can also see why it is that she might have reacted that way, right? Like, to me, this is just, she doesn't officially have this job yet. If she got the job and they hadn't disclosed it, then, oh, well, maybe she just got in because she was fucking somebody in management follows her forever, yeah. right? Like, which, I mean, they obviously hit it off. And also he wanted this for her before they started knocking boots. So, like, it's muddy and complicated but i don't think that there's any wrongdoing right Mm -hmm. and certainly telling the company up front so that it doesn't blow back on her later i think is also the right move but i totally get why liz was so startled by it and it just seems to me like you were seeing the situation through liz's eyes whereas i was sort of looking i don't know with like holy crap don't anybody get fired over this eyes well, and I think I actually responded to it more negatively than Liz did. Cause I think mm. I agree with you that I think Liz is responding to, Oh, you're, we're using labels. You're calling me your girlfriend. Whereas I'm like, ah, controlling. And, and I, I don't tend to, to respond that negatively to those kinds of things. Like I, you know, so I just, I just, I guess I just protective of Liz and I don't want her to get into anything destructive. Um, Oh. Yeah, Marcus Marcus's, says. Yeah, I would like to point point out that Hayden Zetso is still only credited as corporate. <laughs> Woof, buddy. Um, both on the show's part for just keeping him named corporate. Um, that's just laden with a bunch of stuff. Um, yeah, for me, I don't even see it. Like, I didn't really read it as even like labeling. Like, it's paperwork, which is different from labeling something. Um, cause paperwork doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like my partner and I registered as domestic partners at her old job so I could have insurance, but 
domestic partnership isn't a thing that actually exists in Washington State anymore, but as a private institution, that's how they recognized it. If you were involved with someone for X period of time that you were not legally bound to through the institution of marriage. Um, so that's kind of how I viewed it is like, it was a paperwork thing okay. to keep us both on the up and up. Um, yeah. Well, we should move on because we've yes. already gone long. But uh, <laughs> well, I want to know your thoughts yeah. on um, on Olivia Sandoval, though. Like, how did you react She's really to good. Janet? I like Janet so much more than I expected to, and it all comes down to the conversation uh, after afterwards. Um, yeah, she. I expected to be much less interested in Janet than I ended up being, and that was a lovely surprise. I just there's something about that whole performance and the way that character is written that I just find really interesting. It would be so easy to sort of to refer to 30 rock again to push her in a sort of jack donaghy handshakefulness direction and instead she's something more like it, it's yes it's that but it's other things too and i just love that what were you saying Noel? yeah i think that the the reveal from corporate the character <laughs> <laughs> the reveal about her age plus the whole conversation that she has with liz after she is like, no, I just asked you that for those those idiots in the cabin. Um, do you want help? Like, it's, an, it's a legitimate offer type of deal. And to Allison's point about Jack Donaghy, it's very much a mentor-mentee thing that Janet is actually invested in creating. <laughs> I'm sorry, Noel, don't you mean manatee and mento? <laughs> I do mean manatee and mento. Okay, thanks. <laughs> the, most, the most dangerous game, man... A T. Um, all of that. Um, and I think that is like what kind of just freaks out Liz is the fact that, oh, this is a genuine offer from someone who is genuine. And I'm also dealing with corporate, who is also a genuine person, who is genuine. That's too much. I can't deal with this. And whoop. But yeah, no, like the legitimacy and the honesty of that scene and the ways in which, um, what is her, what is the actor's name Olivia again? Sandoval. San, the how Sandoval plays all of that. Um, like the voice shift, uh, posture shift, everything about Janet just shifts into casualness. Well, she code switches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she code switches. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I think that just makes such a big difference. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it's also that we watch Liz admit that she wants more. Yes. And so that's like, for me, that's what pushes her <laughs> to jump off the ship, right? It's that, like, that honesty with herself that she does want this, that she could succeed at it, could be good at it, and that this is, you know, she wants something. She wants a future for herself, and mm-hmm. she hasn't let herself acknowledge or want that. Yeah. Since her dad disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, let's tracks. also not leave this episode without at least noting Vic Zahay and how hilarious he is um, in such a broad, ridiculous role. Um, obviously, he's very good at that. He crushed that in Chuck, but uh, on Chuck. But um, yeah, Tarquin, I mean, part of why Janet can be like, we can have that scene that's so. Uh, relaxed and comfortable and uh not all of this is because Tarquin is up at 11 (laughs) the rest of the time is a contrast well and I love that he is basically a like a walking talking indication of the fact that this is not all a good thing right like this is 
definitely bullshit. And the way that they react to um, the way that some of the other um, candidates at the mingle, I don't remember what they're called. The essence. The essence. Some of the other essence um, are like, oh, did you know she was a waitress? Like, Two minutes ago, you can dream too, can't you, cater waiter who's here on this boat with us? Um, I, I think that those things, Tarquin and moments like that, underline that, like, yes, this is good news for Liz, and jumping off that boat is definitely, like, um, just astounding self-sabotage, um, staggering, staggering self-sabotage, right up there with, like, it's like Walter White levels of self-sabotage. Um, but there is a good reason to be wary of this, right? Like, Noel, you were correct that it is definitely Liz that pops the balloon here, if indeed that's what happens. Um, but it's still not great. Yeah. It's still not great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else we want to to touch on we should briefly talk about i mean blaze certainly if you want to i think we need to talk about um ernie and connie and scott yeah talk about ernie squirming out of that bath motel bathroom window oh what's so funny (laughs) scott was ready for had prepared himself for a lot of things he had not prepared himself for the sound of dud (laughs) coming through that door um (laughs) yeah it's so clever because again in any other story it would have been connie in that motel room in any other story but in lodge 49 it's because dud and ernie are hiding from the fruit basket mafia like what (laughs) god Mm -hmm. bless yeah yeah no it i i appreciate the ways in which that the ernie connie and scott stuff is kind of getting resolved with this of like the emotions are all there, but then they're all really mixed up and jumbled. And I appreciate that because they should be mixed up and jumbled, especially in this situation. Um, so I really like the sense of honesty there, but also the honesty of Ernie just going, yeah, no, I'm going to sneak out the back and drive away. Um, <laughs> Dud, do you want to try to s- s- squeeze through this window as well? Because I really don't think Wyatt Russell could get through that window, but he did somehow. <laughs> um and also just like i mean if anybody comes out of this episode looking better it's scott right because telling ernie she has a medical condition she an internal diagnosis would solve all of this confusion and he won't do it he will not make his life easier in this interaction by betraying that confidence from connie despite all this other stuff which just makes her feel worse um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really interested and really engaged with everything that's going on. So I'm looking forward to the next, it was really hard to not go to the next episode after this last one. And it's going to be even harder because I have a meeting on Monday that I cannot get out of. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry so we'll that. be back next week, Wednesday. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. Hey, no, that's fine. That's, that's fine. fine. I was mm-hmm. actually, no, you know what? I'm going to say, can we do a little brief production meeting after we're done? Yeah, yeah, I'll say yeah, that. Fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can't think of a better transition. Unless, do you want to talk briefly about about Bert? Do we want to have some donut shop talk? Do we need to address Blaze? Do we need to talk Ugh. about why didn't Blaze and Jocelyn Emily, kiss, man. the library yeah. girl? Good, good Jocelyn Blaze content. Looking yeah. forward to what happens there. She uh, he still had a sweater vest on this whole just like, and then lost it at some point off screen. I'm just like, 
California dreaming, man. California <laughs> dreaming. I'm following the progression of his burn, you know, mm-hmm. in each episode. It's so good. It's, it's really so beautifully good. consistent. It's... Which is the reason why I feel like there's been some time passed since the previous episode because his burn is significantly less. Than the it makeup was is so good. Like it, yeah. d- you can absolutely see all like all it like it's patchy like it's different places are healing at different rates and it's way too wide around his eye like really really good makeup good job lodge 49 makeup team really good um okay well uh if you have anything else say it now marcus if you have anything else you want to say go ahead and drop in the comments while i pull up the next episode title because i don't remember I've already made some predictions, but yeah, let's do it based on the title. Arr, stretching out for these. <laughs> All right. The season one finale is called Come On. Is it Come On? No, it's is not. Is someone Eileen, is Eileen involved in this episode? I, I just rewatched the episode of What We Do in the Shadows where it's revealed that Laszlo wrote Come On, Eileen. So they just really... <laughs> Bless that show. <laughs> so it just woo. Um so good. It's good. Uh so the Lodge 49 season one finale is called Full Fathom Five. Oh, that's like a that's that's a lot to business speak stuff to unpack there, I feel like. Um or it's a diving thing. I don't remember. I feel like it's definitely like a six sigma type of deal. Um or it could be a lodge thing. It I could be know. so many things. It could be so many things. I mean, a fathom is a measure of like depth. Depth, within right? So water. it could be the drilling thing, yeah, it right? Could be the drilling. It could be the layers of that, the though. understanding of the alchemy. It could be something for the the business. It could be something with Omnicore. Maybe that's how far down you have to go to get to the sub sub basement. Like it could be yeah. so many Ooh, things. That's good. I like that. I like that. The sub sub basement thing. That's good, Kate. <laughs> I'm gonna co-sign that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have no idea. You've already told us that we would not guess how the season's going to end, so I look forward to not guessing. You, I mean, <laughs> you couldn't. You, there are, there are. You've got maybe some call dishes coming mm-hmm. from from this or previous episodes. I wouldn't say, okay. um, but uh, the thing, like the big thing, you could never, you could never in a million years guess. Does El Confidente finally make an appearance? Was it not the captain all along? Mm-hmm. I kind of have to, like. I feel like you've got to do something with the squirrel to pay off the Avery stuff. Like the Avery yeah. stuff has to get paid off in the next episode. Yeah, so we're I gonna get it. something with that. Maybe El Confidente is Dud's dad. Oh, that'd be good. I'm that'd saying. be wild. There's lots it's, of things that could still happen. We don't it's have a, a wild body. show. It's wild. Yeah. It's a wild show. Um, but I think that's gonna do it for us for this week. Uh, mm-hmm. we will be back next week on Wednesday for week thirty-eight. Yes, for week 38. When we talk about the season one finale of Lodge 49. Until then, bye. Thanks, Marcus. Bye.